Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and today we are talking ice fishing and have some exciting news to share. We've teamed up with Strike Master for a sweet ice fishing giveaway. One lucky winner is going to receive a light flight auger and a matching floating jacket and bibs. To enter, go to shields.com slash strikemaster giveaway or click the link in the description of this podcast. You're going to get an entry for every social platform you follow. So point for any podcast platform, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, everyone you follow is going to get an entry. We've got awesome ice fishing content on all these channels, especially YouTube. So make sure to check out our ice fishing playlist on there. We have a few new videos we just dropped, like uh, favorite fishing setups, some beginner setups, and we've got a lot of really cool videos in the works. So make sure to subscribe to that YouTube platform and all those platforms for those bonus entries and a chance to win that awesome prize package. Now, onto our podcast with professional fishing guide, Tony Roach. Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Thank you for joining us today, Tony. For those that don't know who you are, can you give yourself a little description and how you got into fishing? Yeah, I'm Tony Roach. I'm a full-time fishing guide, professional angler. Um, you know, I, I grew up fishing my whole life. I started fishing walleye tournaments when I was a teenager, or even preteen, I guess. And, uh, you know, started guiding up at Lake of the Woods. I guided in Canada on the U.S. side Flag Island Resort up um, on Lake of the Woods when I was in college. And that sort of set the uh, set the precedent for me as far as, you know, a fishing career. I mean, um, yes, I fished tournaments on the side and when I was a teenager, but really wasn't until I started guiding full-time where I started, you know, making real money in the fishing world. And then, you know, of course, being exposed to um, lots of different companies in the fishing industry when I was really young, um, you know, I kind of had my foot in the door, if you will, uh, and started working with companies at a really young age. And so, uh, you know, just, promoting products, helping develop products, testing products, um, you know, and that's just evolved over the last few decades. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to, for almost all my adult life to, to make a living in the fishing industry. And I love to fish. I fish all the time. Even people ask me what I do on my day off and that's fishing, except for during hunting season, (laughs) (laughs) you don't want to be in the field, uh, or in the woods versus on the water. But even now, like you get a nice day, and uh, I'd I jump in the boat today and go crappie fishing with you right now, Mike, if, if, the, the, if, if that opportunity presented itself. Mm-hmm. And I would love nothing more than to hop in the boat with you right now. That fall fishing can be absolutely phenomenal. Oh, I love fall. See, fall is one of those time periods. Uh, I just put a post on Facebook, you know, October. I wish October itself or even first part of November was like two to three months long because it's just absolutely so electric. I love, I love the season changes. I love ice fishing. I like, 
spring fishing. I like uh, even summer fishing. Um, and I like all aspects of fishing. I love walleye fishing. I love bass fishing. I like smallmouth fishing. I like pan fishing. Um, and you know, when I'm done ice fishing, I love going to the coast and catching, you know, snook and redfish. So I like all types of fishing. Everybody wants to kind of pigeonhole you as a walleye angler, or a bass angler, or a pike angler. I like all, all facets of fishing, going up to Canada and uh, catching big pike or going to Alaska and catching salmon or going to the Great Lakes and catching salmon. I mean, I love all types of fishing. Yeah, that's just the really great thing about fishing is there's so much variety. I mean, obviously, you're a, you're a professional walleye angler, but you can go out and you can target ocean fish. You can go after lake trout, basically just whatever your heart desires. Well, and it's it's amazing how many of the, you know, the same, uh, uh, how many different techniques that you we use, let's say, as walleye anglers that bass use or vice versa, or you go saltwater fishing, and a lot of those same principles apply. Uh, it's no different with pan fishing. I mean, fishing, fishing. So, you know, the, I think the more knowledge you, knowledgeable you are about multi-species and fishing in different locations, locations um it makes you a better angler uh there's so many things that i use in walleye fishing that i do it all the time in bass fishing or i i perfected that bat that technique bass fishing took it walleye fishing and caught just as many walleyes or i was bass fishing and i caught a bunch of walleyes so then it turned into a technique that's one of my favorites so you know, it, there, there's that aspect of it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that just reminds me of a podcast we'd filmed earlier with John Hoyer, where he takes all of this information that he'd gathered about guiding for muskies and that sort of take the bait away mentality and transition that into walleye since they're a predator fish as well. So it's just a, it's just a great way to learn new things and take those application of fishing for other species and move that into targeting something different. Right. Was there ever a point where you didn't consider fishing as a career? No, really, there really isn't. Even when I was really, really young, um, I, I can remember back to elementary and writing, you know, papers or whatever in school about what you, what do you want to do when you grow up, you know, and people wanted to be a fireman or, a, you know, a cop or whatever. I just always wanted to fish. I grew up on a lake river system. Um, that's all I did was fish. I used to take my boat to school. I, I grew up in Moose Lake nice. and the school was on the lake. So I would just cruise across the lake in my boat. I had baseball practice all the time where I drove, I was out fishing and I just drive my boat up and park it in the bay there and go to baseball practice. So it's all I ever wanted to do. Um, you know, but when you're a little kid, you try to figure out, you know, I want to be a professional fisherman. Uh, you know, it's, <laughs> that's sort of a it, it's a tough task to get from you know point to point there i remember mm -hmm. there, there was a time frame you know after college where i was like okay well now i got to get a real job and uh you know i really want to fish but i don't you know i don't know how to make a career out of it and so um yeah i mean there was a i suppose about a year and a half time frame where i was fishing tournaments i wasn't guiding um but I was trying to build a guide service so that I didn't have to do the job that I was doing that I didn't really care for. <laughs> you know, I wanted to fish. I was, I was fishing all the time in my free time, but um, I, I, you know, I had a real job for about two years. 
Well, we're really glad it all worked out for you because, you know, here you are on a podcast talking about fishing and you're playing a pivotal role in all kinds of ice fishing product development, you know, just getting people excited to get out and go fishing. Yeah, I love to fish. My kids love to fish. You know, we're a fishing family, except during hunting season, then we're a hunting family. But um, yeah, I love the outdoors. I mean, I, I, I just feel fortunate and blessed every day I get to get up make coffee, go fishing. Uh, I get to meet a lot of different people. Uh, yeah, I love my job. You know, a lot of people say if, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. And, uh, that's sort of true, except I go almost every day, every day. So, um, but I, I love it. I love the, I love the outdoor industry. Um, you know, meeting people at, at, at different places and shows and, and then just being on the water. Me and my dad just had this conversation the other day about, you know, going to destinations, right? You go to a place like Texas or Florida, bump into a lot of anglers. Well, you guys are all kind of like-minded, and so you hit it off, you know, meeting total strangers, but the glue that bonds you together is fishing, and it's interesting, you know, some of the tactics they may use, let's say in Texas on the coast, pretty similar to what I used, grew up fishing when it came to live bait rigging, uh, you know, sinker, hook setup. So things are in a whole lot different. And, you know, fishing's kind of that bond. And so you meet a lot of cool people in the world just based on fishing. I've sat on airplanes where, you know, I had a Rapala hat on or, or some sort of fishing gear and boom, it strikes up a conversation with someone next to you that may be from the East Coast or Canada. You know, I've had so many conversations on planes where that was the bond, fishing. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk fishing the whole time. Three hours flew by. You got to meet a cool person, someone else that you normally wouldn't meet in your everyday life. So that's what I, that's what I love about fishing. Yeah, very cool. Fishing's just a great way to bring people together, whether it's family or friends or new friends, like you said. So okay, now I'd like to dive into some ice fishing specific stuff, specific to right now. You know, you're you're a guide out at Malax. So when do you expect uh, first fishable ice out there? That's always the million dollar question, right? Uh, you know, every other uh, every other season has a kickoff date or sort of a end date to it, right? Um, you know, fishing opener in Minnesota is always that first week in May. Ice is kind of always that uh, big question mark. You know, some years it it starts right after Thanksgiving. We've had fishable ice around Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, but most years it's mid December. So uh, we've even had it as late as uh, you know uh, late December. So Usually for me, I usually try to start where we're start staking safe paths and that sort of thing. You can generally bank on that 9th to the 15th of December in that time frame. Um, you know, Mille Lacs is sort of a big animal. So uh, usually that time of year, there's always some sort of open water out in the middle or, um, you know, unsafe ice somewhere because it's so big, right? The wind's always blowing things around. So if it's windy, we may get called off for a day, but we spend almost a week's time frame staking safe paths, um, routes to spots. And that's physically staking it, but we also use our GPS. We have um, two or three guys that are out there and we make sure every inch of ice is safe before we start bringing customers. But generally we kick off our season mid-December and you know, I love early ice. The earliest, the earlier I can get out there, the better. 
especially after staring at trees for a few days. <laughs> our our uh, rifle season's just around the corner, Minnesota. Once you start deer hunting, I'm geeked up for deer hunting, but once you sit in a stand for weeks on end, you're ready to kind of do something else. So ice fishing's always that next that next thing, and and I love early ice. I I do a lot of trips, you know, up to Red Lake or a lot of the small lakes around me lock up well before Mille Lacs. And so I try to get in some of those early ice trips where, you know, whether you do get photos in or just fun fishing trips, uh, even taking a few customers, I try to get out as early as possible. But I try to do it as safe as possible, too. Um, a lot of these lakes where we're getting out, it's just a walk out from a shoreline where you can be in a great weed bed 100 yards out. Um, you're not trudging two, three miles out to get to quality fishing. Whereas Mille Lacs can be a little bit challenging because it's such a slow taper drop off that it's going to take you a couple hundred yards to get out to at least a decent drop off for in most cases. You know, I'm really glad you brought up safety right away because that's really the number one concern out there. You know, everyone's excited to get out, get on the water, but you got to make sure you're, you know, you have those ice picks and you're checking and making sure that you're on safe ice. And it's, it's really great to hear that you're doing all the precautionary measures to make sure the people that you're bringing out are safe as well. Okay, let's talk a little bit about first ice spots, you know, especially on clear lakes. What sort of areas are you looking to target right away? Well, I mean, it's always, uh, I guess, you know, species specific, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, um, some of these shallow water flats, um, that hold good green vegetation. Um, you know, I'm targeting panfish primarily, especially during the day, even pike, big pike, you know, you see a lot of uh, anglers that like getting out early for big pike, uh, walleyes. I tend to target a lot of those, you know, first break lines or rock piles or weed rocks or even green cabbage, but closer to the edge of, of the break line. And so, um, you know, I've got lots of really good weed lines where I fish walleyes early, where it's like a morning, evening type of bite. Um, and then, you know, just chasing panfish during the day. It could be um, bluegills or crappies. I love chasing those two species, specifically early ice, especially bluegills. And then again, later in the season, it seems like they return to those, those similar areas. Whereas early ice and late ice, they'll be in these shallow water flats, these shallow bays up on these break lines, especially where there's vegetation. Midwinter, when things get really cold, some of these spots, they'll kind of creep out of there. They get towards these wintering basins, these little bit deeper water depressions, that sort of thing. Whereas early ice, they're up there, they're shallow, they're aggressive, they're feeding. And I love catching big bluegills. And it's not for harvest. I mean, I just like catching big bluegills and throwing them back. I, I just love catching them. I think they're some of the coolest fish. I remember catching a lot of big bluegills when I was a kid. And now they're somewhat of a unicorn to find mm -hmm. those great big ones where they used to be very prevalent all over the place. Now they're really hard to find. If you want to see those true giants, um, they're isolated into some of these lakes. And I like to get to, into some of these lakes early, catch them, catch and release just to get photos because I, I think they're so cool. They're such a cool fish. Yeah, there really is just something about catching big bluegill. I mean, you, like you said, the coloring and just the way they look is sweet. And, you know, for a little fish, man, they put up a fight. Pound for pound, they're one of the hardest fighters that you're going to find out there. I, I've heard, like, older gentlemen tell me, like, if, a, if, if 
bluegills grew to the size of a smallmouth, no one would fish smallmouth because bluegills fight that much harder. Mm-hmm. And it's true. They're just, I mean, those, they're like, especially those big, like pie plates, you know, they're, they're spinning around and they're, they're, they're doing their thing. It's, it's fun, especially on light ice fishing gear. Yeah, absolutely. You get one of those with those big foreheads that stick out. Then, you know, you got a good one there. Right. Yeah, 100%. Now, you mentioned it's a little bit tougher to find those trophy fish nowadays. I'm curious to what you think is the reasoning behind that. Is it overfishing? Is it zebra mussels? Or what are your thoughts on that? I think there's a lot of contributing factors. I think, uh, you know, uh, some of these lakes are just overrun with small bluegills. And I don't know if that has to do with, you know, there's some bluegill pike dynamics that have changed where you know i think when i was younger there was just more lakes with bluegills that didn't really get harvested right because they Mm -hmm. were all over the place and then you take the fact that people were harvesting big pike i i I think there's a lot of factors but um you know you look across the board and especially in the state of minnesota i think they've been pretty aggressive as far as having some of these special regulation lakes where you can go and target where they set the limit at like five fish or whatever. Um, Some of these experimental regulations um, and they're not just uh, a few of them now. It seems like they just proposed a whole bunch more in Minnesota. And it's really good to see because, you know, I know taking my son out pan fishing, for example, he cherishes the fact that we're catching big bluegills and throwing them back where I was a little worried as he was growing up that he'd never see a big bluegill. Right. Um, just cause I thought they'd be wiped out. Um, you know, cause there, there's a, a lot of different factors. Ice anglers harvest bluegills, right. Um, mm-hmm. open water anglers harvest bluegills. And so I think harvest is part of it, part of the equation in some, some situations, the predator prey relationships, plays a factor in others. So, you know, I don't think it's one thing that you could pinpoint, but obviously there's a few things that they're trying to correct and we'll see what happens. They're experimental lakes, they're special regulations. Um, I just know that when I find a lake <laughs> of big bluegill caliber, I'm very hush hush about it. Uh, yeah. We want to go in there, uh, catch a few fish, throw them back. I don't care about keeping any. I just, I just love the just the fight and how aggressive they are. And I like how early ice and late ice kind of mirror itself as far as how aggressive those fish are. You get midwinter sometimes, and I call it staring contest fish, where they come up to your graph and they're looking at your bait, looking at your bait, and they barely touch it. That's fine. That's finesse fishing. But I want to fish the bluegill that comes in early ice and comes up and boom, and yep. you set the hook and you got a nice fish on the line. Yeah, the that, angry ones are always early. the ones that are more fun same, to fish. <laughs> yeah, same thing with walleyes. I mean, that's what er- makes early ice cool is the fact that the fish are aggressive, right? You drop mm-hmm. your spoon or your jig wrap down a hole and bam, a walleye comes up and cracks it. It's not a staring contest situation. You don't have to wait for bites. You don't have fish coming in not biting. Early ice, they're biting. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I spend a decent amount of time going out and fishing Red Lake right away, and I just love that early ice stuff. You know, you can get really aggressive with your presentations. I love to use things like a jig and wrap or a tikka minnow, and, you know, those fish haven't seen a bait in a while, and they just come in angry. 
Well, what's cool about red, too, is it's so shallow, right? So mm-hmm. the fish come in on your graph, they strike it, you set the hook, they have nowhere to go. It's kind of like catching walleyes in the fall in shallow water. When you pitch a jig in six feet of water, when you set the hook, they have nowhere to go but sideways on you. And I, I think that's what's cool about red, too, is when you set the hook, they're going sideways. And uh, like you said, red's one of those destinations for me, too. It's always that early, early ice bite. It always freezes before anywhere else. Uh, as far as walleye destinations are concerned, where you can catch them during the day. And so, yeah, that's always on my list. As soon as we get ice, I usually creep up there for a day or two and, and uh, you know, try to catch a few fish before the masses get out there. And for me, you know, like me and my son, we'll just drive to Red for the, for the day, come home. Uh, you know, I remember last year with COVID, with him not being in school, we went to, up to Red for a day. We got some photos. We did a couple of videos or whatever. And then... Uh, we got home that next morning. He woke me up and he's like, "Dad, let's let's cruise to Red again today." And I was like, "All right, bring your uh, homework." Well, and talk your me into he, it. Yeah, he did all his homework in the car. He was like in his, in the otter. He's like doing his Google Meets in school. We were catching fish. It was it was really fun. Oh, that's got to be a proud dad moment right there. Just like doing whatever you can to get out and get fishing the next day. Well, and you know, for my kids in general, it's hard. You know, I get them out in the outdoors all the time. I love taking them fishing. But when school's in session with sports and how busy they are now as teenagers and, and you know, they're, they're both teens, um, it's hard because that, especially sports, really take up a huge part of our time. And so to kind of, uh, you know, with COVID anyway, to have, have that kind of reset button where we were like, we can do whatever we want as long as he gets his stuff done in school. And he was pretty flexible because they weren't going to school. They were just doing their Google Meets. So mm-hmm. as long as he's getting his stuff done, mom was totally cool with him coming to work with me. So, yeah, Robbie was he, – he just – he loves to fish. He's kind of like probably what we were when we were little kids, except he's got way cooler stuff to play with nowadays. <laughs> yeah, but, for um, sure. He's a fishing nut like us, you know, so – and, and hunting. And my daughter's the same way. She she loves to hunt and fish. Um, so it was really cool with COVID, you know, with all the bad things that were going on with the world, that was the silver lining. We got to hang out together all the time. He, especially my son, because he loves to ice fish. My daughter likes to ice fish, but, um, you know, she likes sitting in the Yeti or somewhere where it's warm and catching them on with the camera down. I mean, she, that's what she likes about ice fishing. My son likes to go like on these early ice trips with me. So um, to be able to do that with them last year, that was that was the best part about this whole, uh, you know, about everything going on with the world and the pandemic and being at home and homeschooling. That was definitely the silver lining, but bar none. Yeah, I'll agree with you 100% there. You know, I've got a little daughter that's going to be six years old here, and there's nothing more fun than going out crappie fishing in the basins and you get yourself on a school of them and then I'll you know get the bobber stop all set up and get a little bobber on there and just hand the rod to her and she's just pulling them up hand over fist like I love this daddy you know oh that's better than catching yourself I you know for deer hunting season I sit with the kids like I'm the guy like I don't even care if I shoot the deer I just like sitting with them it's that's my favorite part you know like you said with your daughter I mean my daughter too, she loves to fish and like, I just drive the boat and let the kids fish. I mean, I, I like catching them as well, but just seeing them catch them, I don't know. Turkey hunting's the same way. Like 
I just call in the turkey blind. I don't care if I shoot one. Just to see them get a turkey, that's the exciting part. Absolutely. Now, I kind of want to switch gears a little bit here and talk some about product and lures. Is there anything that you're really excited to bring out on the ice this season? Well, I, you know, that's asked every year, and I, and and obviously with um, things evolving with electronics, with ice augers, lithium battery powered equipment in general, even though it's not brand new for this year, it's just gotten better and better, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, auger technology, for example, I mean, I love, I can't imagine going back to a gas auger. I just can't. With as many holes as I drill, that gas, I can't, you know, believe that we use gas augers. It's weird to say, and it was only a couple of years ago, and I know people still have gas augers. Um, I'm just saying, for me, I can't go back to it. That yeah. lithium-powered auger, how light they are, how fast they are, um, that would be probably number one on my list because I'm a run-and-gun type of person. So quicker, faster, sharper, lighter, that's how I roll on the ice. Um, that would I would say that in itself um, has been the most or, or the biggest change over the last few years. Now, you take that same lithium – you have it in your electronics, your Markums, your your cameras, how light your cameras are. Um, it just it makes the whole experience that much better. And it's one thing, lithium powered batteries. I can't believe that it would change the realm of ice fishing that much or as much as it has just in a short time period. But it really, really has. Yeah, I have fully embraced the whole lithium battery and electric auger transition. And I think the final turning point with me was when I was out fishing with a group of friends and I'd got on this school of base and crappie and I go to my buddy, hey, come on, drill next to me, get get on this school too. And he came over with his gas auger and I literally watched the fish just scatter when he drilled this hole. So it's just... It's so much more efficient. Well, and I even, you know, when, when we first started using, like, um, the lithium battery powered, like the, the 40V, for example, um, another guy who was guiding for me was going to start his auger, you know, and it only took a couple pulls, but he had to go over, you prime it, you start it, you know, that warm it up, that whole scenario. I had already drilled seven holes before he even got his auger started going and drilled his first hole so just the fact that you can pick that thing up push the button and you're already drilling is just an advantage for me um you couple that with all the other things not the noise factor the gas you know um how dirty it is gaskets on everything it gets on your clothes i mean we have nice suits right these these really nice float suits you don't want gas on there or a, uh, you know the muffler burning your i mean now when you hear a gas auger, you're, you really notice it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Like it stands out. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it brings me back to fishing in the past where, where, you know, like you bring the gas auger out or like if you want to loan out your gas auger, it's like everyone has, every one of them has their own attitude. It's like, okay, with this one, you know, you need to have it pretty much straight up. You need to take that primer. You need to pump it three, three to four. You know, if you do six, you're going to flood it. You can't do it. You got to pull it and then it'll turn over and it'll die right away. So then, then you have to drop the choke down a little bit, but you can't go completely. You got to just 
just like feather it a little bit and then, and then you'll get it to fire up and it'll drill holes forever. So, but you have to, you have to almost like write down that exact process and it works perfect. But you know, if you don't do that, like she ain't going to start for you, buddy. (laughs) Right on. Yeah. I I know that all too well. Trust me. Oh yeah. Any, anybody that's fished for a long time, it totally understands that. Well, you know, I've got a few guys that, that work with us, you know, that uh, guide all winter long and, all of our augers always kind of had their own personality and we always ran our own and you didn't want to touch Pete's auger or Nick's auger. Like you kind of always wanted to run your own. So if theirs was closer, you know, so yeah, I can totally relate. Now we have all have, uh, you know, battery powered augers and everybody, it doesn't matter. You pick up the auger, you drill a hole instantly and you're fishing. Exactly. Now, what about new lures? You know, there's a lot of new ones on the market now. Is there anything that's like, quickly becoming your new go-to uh you know always working on stuff you know obviously when you get to work with rapala vmc for example i mean it's like i'm like a kid in a candy store they're engineers they're product development teams i mean i can't elaborate on anything we're doing right now in particular but just walking in there and working with the that their product development team and their engineers and the group of anglers are, they're all passionate about fishing. Right. So, um, yeah, there's some cool stuff in the works. I, I would say one thing right now that, um, you know, has really changed among all lure manufacturers is color, right? Rapala has some of the best colors their UV colors when it comes to ice fishing, especially walleyes, uh, but even panfish, the colors have gotten better. The uh, paint schemes have gotten better. Lifelike, realistic eyes have gotten better. The hooks have gotten better. Everything has gotten better uh, year after year after year. I always think, how can it get any better than this? Always does. The, the manufacturing process of putting tungsten on baits to really great hooks on small baits, that's a big thing that has really changed. Before, it seemed like you'd get panfish lures and the hooks were really thin wire uh you missed a lot of fish sometimes the tungsten would break loose from the from the eyelets i mean there was a lot of problems that all sorts of different manufacturers experienced with different ice baits because they were working with baits that were so small now uh you know we've really got it down to a t and it's amazing the detail that goes into each product whether it's you know, the size, like for a spoon, for example, the size of the split ring, the size of the split ring that connects the treble hook, the, uh, you know, eye placement on there, the, the type of spoon and materials and metal that it's stamped out in, how that reacts in the water column. I mean, it's just amazing to me the detail in some of these small baits. Um, whereas a few years ago, it seemed like the baits were kind of, sort of standardized, you know, you had your walleye baits, some spoons, um, and then you had a few small panfish baits, that sort of thing. That's sort of all melded together now. And now it seems like you've got a lot of really lifelike options for pan fishing. Mm-hmm. You've got a lot of real detailed baits. You've got a lot of spoons, jigging wraps, ripping wraps that are extremely small that you can use for panfish. Plus you've got a lot of detailed baits in a wide spectrum of sizes for walleyes as well and so and you you add some of the some just really cool color schemes across the board from uvs to whatever 
it's pretty incredible the options that anglers have today. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you go to a shield store and then it's it's almost overwhelming the amount of lures you see. And, you know, some people will think to themselves, a lure is a lure. But you think about all the production and the time and the effort that goes into every minute detail. And, you know, there's some really game-changing things out there nowadays. Oh, 100%. And, you know, it, it's it's kind of a, um, you know, let, let's talk pan fishing, for, for example. I mean you couple the right line species with the right reel, the right rod that was built for that type of fishing, um, it, it really kind of brings it all together. So anglers that get it, that catch more fish, you know, we were talking bluegills earlier. Let's say a small tungsten bait with the right type of rod blank, the right reel, coupled with the right type of line species. Let, let's say like a like a three pound mono, for example, with a small tungsten bait, um, the right type of rod that's like a, a rod tip that's not only going to support that tungsten when you're fishing it, but it's going to allow you to have complete control of that bait. And, um, you know, it's all part of it. If you use just any old ice fishing rod, a small tungsten with, let's say, eight pound mono, and you've got all this memory in your line, you're not going to catch as many fish. I can guarantee you that. So if you can pay attention to details and you're specific on your techniques throughout ice fishing and you can, you're able to rig up your rods the way you want them to, you've got the right powers and actions in the rods, you're going to catch more fish. I mean, ice fishing is the ultimate in finesse fishing. Um, I watch them on my underwater camera. I watch them on my electronics. And, you know, ice fishing is just one of those, I, I've, I've learned so much in finesse fishing, ice fishing, probably more so than any other um, fishing situation because they are so specific and they want something moving a certain way. They want the right type of bait. They want a certain color. Size makes a huge difference. You could be spoon fishing for walleyes, for example, and tipping that with a minnow head. And one person has a uh, eighth ounce spoon. The other person has a quarter uh, and you're fishing the exact same color person with the quarters catching more fish because maybe the forage species in that lake are just a little bit bigger so they want that bigger bait i've seen it many times where size plays a huge role into catching more fish than even the color display mm -hmm. uh, i've seen it with jigging wraps where they want that bigger jigging wrap versus that small one you think okay i need to downsize finesse to a number five jigging wrap nope they want a big number seven because that's the size of the perch in that lake um you know so there, there's a lot of things that play into ice fishing that I think get overlooked maybe by the average angler. Yep, I believe that 100%. And I've seen that in my own ice fishing journey as well. You know, I started out with my parents going to Lake of the Woods and I'll use a, I'll use a whatever rod and reel I have with a bobber and an eyeball jig. And, you know, we caught fish, but then it's like, okay, I want to step up my game. I want to move to some more technique-specific things, you know, like get a fast action rod and start moving to like jigging wraps and things like that and it just it's crazy how subtle changes can make some really big benefits to your ice fishing game yeah i mean i've even showed people by just changing the rod like giving them a different rod i we do it all the time because we we take out thousands of customers you know summer and winter and we get customers that want to bring their own equipment and that's great but 
they may not have the right power in action. They might have a real slow taping. You know, everybody has that ice rod in their in their bucket or in their arsenal that, you know, it's just like a buggy whip, right? The mm-hmm. the backbone is basically the cork handle, and they start missing fish when they're fishing a spoon or a jigging wrap or ripping wrap. I hand them the right rod, and boom, it's like a light bulb. They start catching them. They don't miss any. They can control that bait, like you said, and you know, it's a huge factor. It's, it's all part of it. You take up, you take away one piece of that puzzle, whether it's taking away the rod or taking away the right line species, or maybe, maybe, uh, you didn't have a, add a swivel to your presentation. All of that plays into you catching fish. Same thing with your electronics, you know, having those electronics dialed in where you're using a zoom feature so you can see exactly what that fish is doing, what their mood is. Are they aggressive? all part of ice fishing, all part of my success, our success, successful anglers all take into that, all, all take in those pieces of puzzle. They put the puzzle together and they catch more fish. Yep. And I mean, really the only way to put that puzzle together is to just spend some time on the ice. Yeah. And it's no different than open water. The same uh, angler that jumps in a boat has the right electronics, has the right power and action for the technique that they're fishing it's no different. It's just in ice fishing, the rods are a little bit shorter and you're standing over the top of the fish, staring down at them all the time, you know, versus, you know, in the summer, obviously we're using electronics that we can see the fish, you're, you're targeting them on real time, but all the time we're standing over the top of them ice fishing. Yeah, for sure. And that electronic talk brings me up to my next question. What do you think of this new forward looking electronics? You know, your pan optics, live scope, active target, Hummingbird live. Uh, can you just explain your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's the direction that uh, you know electronics are going. I think, you know, in ice fishing, uh, most times, not all the time, but a lot of times, anglers are utilizing those to find fish, and then boom, they're going over to those locations and then dropping their transducer and fishing over the top of them. But I think it's um, exactly the direction that open waters moved. Um, it's the direction ice fishing's moving. Um, I think with that becomes responsibility. Like we talked about before with harvesting fish and not over harvesting, I think you're going to see a lot of regulations because of the new, um, technology that's come out, um, you know, shrinking, uh, limits of fish and that sort of thing, because you have a lot more people harvesting. I, I think, I, I think, I don't know, and I'm not, I'm not saying bad one way or the other. I like catching fish to keep and eating fish, don't get me wrong, but I think there's a, um, you know, kind of a conservation aspect that you, that anglers have to take into consideration if they're on the water all the time, whether it's on the ice all the time or on the water all the time, you still have to, you know, limit yourself to, you know, what you can eat or, you know. I guess what I'm getting at is like Minnesota, for example, you can keep six walleyes. Well, if I keep six walleyes this afternoon and bring them home, me and my wife and kids can't eat six walleyes. We just don't, right? About four walleyes is about perfect for us. So for me, if I go out fishing, like with my son or whatever, we catch a few walleyes, I'll bring three or four home because that's that's what we're going to eat that night, right? I don't need stockpiles of fish in my freezer. And I think with this new electronics, without getting off on a tangent, is we just need to be careful because 
they are powerful tools. It's just like when we first got underwater cameras, they became a powerful tool. You're catching a lot of fish. Uh, GPS mapping, all of it plays into the factor. Now we have GPS mapping, some of the greatest sonars, some of the best forward sonar technology, underwater cameras, augers that can get you on top of them quickly, push button hydraulic, fish houses, float suit, boom, 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 and you go down the list. It's super comfortable fishing. We can be out there all the time. But if we want to enjoy some really quality fishing for years to come, we're just going to have to be very conservative about how we approach the outdoors. Yeah, and I absolutely love that answer. You know, people will ask us, is this is this new electronics worth it? And it's gotten to a point now where it's so advanced that, you know, instead of worrying so much about finding the fish, like you're going to find them, it's you need to respect the fishery and make sure that it's going to be enjoyable for the future generations to come. Yeah, I mean, I want my kids to experience um, some of the quality fishing that I've been able to experience uh, my whole life, right? I want the quality of fishing in Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wisconsin to be, you know, at, at that level that made me want to fish all the time, right? Everybody has, everybody has that kind of, how, how should I say, um, that memory in their mind where that was, that was the trip that solidified it for them that they fell in love with fishing, for example. So, you know, I have lots of trips like that. I'm sure you have lots of memories and trips like that where you went fishing and went, man, that was unbelievable. That's what drives you to want to fish more in my mind. It's, it's, it's everything about that trip, the beauty of it, how many fish you caught. Well, we still have incredible fishing as of today. Incredible fishing. You go across this country and you fish, you know, down south in Texas, California, out on the East Coast, inland waters. We have some of the best inland waters that we could ever hope for here in Minnesota, South Dakota, North Dakota, Wisconsin, right? And I want to keep it that way. <laughs> I want to be able to go over to Green Bay and catch giant walleyes or uh, you know, go up to Devil's Lake and catch fish like crazy or go to Lake of the Woods or, you, you know what I mean? I want those mm -hmm. quality fisheries Absolutely. within a driving distance. And with all the technology that's coming out, you know, I think legislators and lawmakers and us as, as, as sportsmen are really going to have to look and say, hey, you know, if we, if we want to conserve this, we have the technology we have at our fingertips today you know, you could go to any lake in the world and catch fish. Um, and anybody, especially with YouTube, like I, I watch my son as a 14-year-old and technology and how rapidly he picks up on it. I mean, that technology is only going to get better over the next decade, right? We think, wow, it's we're, we're unbelievable now. I would say in 10 years, you're going to look at technology like we looked at technology 10 years ago and say, wow, that's really dated. Yep, it's really wild to think of, and you're 100% correct on that. Yeah, so, you know, if, if we want to enjoy and conserve and, and to, to, to relish what we have today, we're going to have to look towards conservation. That's why I like some of these lakes that have special regulations, because if you don't want to go there, if you want to go to a different lake and harvest more fish, uh, those opportunities are still there. But some of these special regulation lakes, 
allow people to go and experience some really good fishing without maybe the harvest opportunity. But there's a lot of anglers like myself that just want to go catch fish. Mm-hmm. You know, Mille Lacs is a prime example of that. You can go to Mille Lacs Lake, catch a pile of walleyes. Yeah, you can only keep one, but you just wailed on them and you caught big <laughs> smallmouth bass. I mean, I love I love it. I, I know people don't like the regulation of one fish and I get that. However, from a fish catching perspective and from an angler's choice, I mean, if I want my son to go experience unbelievable fishing, I don't have to go over, unbelievable walleye fishing in the winter. I don't have to go very far. I can go to Mille Lacs Lake. He's going to catch a pile of fish. Yeah, you can't harvest a bunch, but man, you're going to have fun doing it. Yeah, and that brings up a good point. So what is the regulations this year? Is it just one fish over the ice? Yeah, at least the ice season will be one fish. They just announced the regulations, um, same as last year, you know, 21 to 23 inches. That's what you can keep. Um, I think it's going to be another great, on year on the ice you know early ice out there is always a riot uh you know i i just did a seminar a couple weeks ago talking about finding fish in the fall and then going back to those same locations and it's incredible how you know fall like especially this time of year sets up perfectly for where those fish are going to be early ice especially along those shoreline breaks Mm-hmm. it's incredible i can go back to that very icon and those fish are usually within a hundred yard circle of where I found them in my boat. So, um, yeah, Malax is, is just really, really fun early ice. It's just sort of like when we were talking about Red Lake. Um, it's just one of, one of those destinations that they bite during the day. You catch lots of fish, you catch them on dead sticks, you catch them on jigging. That morning, evening bites electric. But, you know, generally speaking, they're in those same areas that you find them in the fall. That's weed lines, shallow bays that first break line, any of those rock piles um, that are close to shore. You can find them anywhere from 10 to 21 feet, depending on, um, you know, how they're relating to the structure. And Mille Lacs is so big that, you know, just the shoreline breaks and, and the, stru- the amount of structure that you have on that lake from the north end to the south end to the bays change very differently. And the fish relate to those those areas completely different for example like on the east side you have almost zero vegetation for most of the east side other than really shallow bays um it's all rock and sand and that sort of thing whereas you get to the west side it's almost all weeds you get to the north end it's a lot of weeds so those fish will relate to those areas a lot differently so on the east side you tend to have to fish a little bit deeper because it's rock especially during the day whereas on the west side the north end the bays you can get away with fishing a lot shallower because those fish are up in the weeds. Great information. So, Tony, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. For people that want to stay connected to you, how can they do that? Uh, RoachesGuideService.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, and I put a lot of information out there, just not even just for guiding purposes, but just fishing purposes. Uh, I always try to share things on Facebook or Instagram, for example, that I feel would be beneficial to other anglers, like types of baits I'm using, videos, um, how-tos. If I try a new technique or if I, I, I learn something, I want to share that with other anglers. And I, I think I've, I've learned a lot by watching and working with other anglers. And 
I think that's just how we learn as 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 the England, right? And how we yep, grow absolutely. and with all the new technologies coming out, all the new electronics, augers. I'm trying to share as much information as I possibly can, just because I love the sport of fishing and I love being out there and I I love sharing that with people. That's why I like guiding. I love being in the boat with people on the ice. So roachesguideservice.com or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. Perfect. Well, thanks again for your time and your expertise. You truly are a valuable asset to this fishing community. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it. Hopefully we can hit the ice or like I said, crappie fishing next fall. Maybe maybe we'll do the podcast from the boat. Hey, I, I have no no opposition to that. That'd be a ton of fun. <laughs> right. On. Okay. Well good well, luck fishing. Everybody. Yeah, you too. Best of luck on the ice this season. All right. Thanks. You just heard our conversation with Tony Roach on early ice fishing tips and tactics. If you need anything for the upcoming season, make sure to stop by your local Shields store or visit us online at shields.com. And don't forget to register for the Strike Master giveaway we have running now until December 15th, where you can win a light flight auger and a full floating ice suit. Head to shields.com slash strikemaster giveaway or click the link in the description of this podcast to get registered. You're going to get an entry for every single Shields Outdoors platform you follow, so make sure to follow the podcasts, follow Facebook and Instagram pages, and especially follow the YouTube page because we have some great tip and product videos on there and much more coming throughout the season. And with that, we want to thank you all for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.